Welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt, where I look at the week's financial news that can be a bit confusing, misleading, and take you off course and help to make it actionable, understandable, and clear. What a week, what a show. Slight head cold, but we're fighting through it here at the Market Update. A lot of podcasters would have shut it down in similar circumstances. Not the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. Press on has solved and always will solve the problems of the human race, as Mr. Calvin Coolidge once said, and we take that to heart here. So, at the show, at the top, we are going to have time for Robert's Corner. We tease that. We oftentimes don't. We will today. We're making sure of it. We're going to go back to our time at Texas A&M and a real estate finance course and discuss an individual real estate investment trust that I ran an analysis on, did my project on, and where it is today and what I thought about it at the time. We're going to look at a Dallas Morning News article. Wow, we never get to do that by Mr. Steve Brown. Those of you in the real estate business know Mr. Brown. It's a great article for reasons Mr. Brown may or may not realize. He's great. really enjoy his stuff. But talking about Dallas's Bank of America Plaza. For my Dallas sites, this is the really tall building with the, the green LED lights on the side. I think they, some people call it the pickle. I'm not sure. For my international listeners, just check those show notes. Hopefully the paywall at the Dallas Morning News doesn't hammer you too much. We're going to look at that article and the lessons we can learn. And then a little trip down financial history lane here. For those of you who listened last week, you recalled the various 20-year rolling periods across various countries and their return profiles, some of them being pretty drastic. We're actually going to look at our own beloved United States of America and focus on dividends. That's right, dividends, because you know the game over here. We're keeping our costs low, investing simple time horizon long. So oftentimes, as we hold these index funds, we're looking at dividends, but have they always worked out? Hmm. We're going to look at the actual data to find that out. So, at the top, Dallas Morning News article, Mr. Steve Brown, Green Light for the Future. The headline, Dallas's Bank of America Plaza makes plans for going forward without banks. So, <gasps> big shock. Bank of America, the lead tenant in this Bank of America Plaza is leaving. They, they're going to leave in 2027. Now, For those of you who are keeping your ear to the ground in the real estate business, you know that a lot of office buildings are in trouble. And it's not just that they borrowed too much money, although, of course, that could be the problem. A lot of it's just secular shifts. Work from home. Half work. Partial work. It creates uncertainty for the asset class and, therefore, tougher to sell, tougher to transact on. But this article, oh, man. It's as if they've been listening to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update before it even existed. So, the article, the article explains, The landlord of Dallas's tallest skyscraper is looking to the future while celebrating more than a quarter century ownership of the landmark downtown tower. Hey, they're keeping their time horizon long. Hmm. The 72-story Bank of America Plaza is Dallas' biggest high-rise and one of the tallest buildings in the western United States. Hey, I didn't know that. The 1.85 million square foot Main Street office tower outlined with the two miles of green lights. It's been owned since 98. 1998. 
by Metropolis Investment Holdings, a Chicago-based real estate firm that manages assets for a German family investment group. Whew. Okay. So they've hung on to this asset. The representative, Mr. Tom Dempsey, of this group, of Metropolis, says, our flagship tower certainly is in Dallas. It's our largest asset. And they own other stuff as well. This this skyscraper, this big old skyscraper, it's 70% occupied. That's actually not good. That's not good. They're losing a big tenant. And they've got multiple floors of the tower. They're going to be empty. But when I read this article, I'm thinking, wow, this, the representatives aren't scared. Uh, they're looking to the future. They had a quote that was, I thought, very congratulatory from the broker in charge of it, who's a wonderful man, Mr. Russ Johnson, discussing the quality of the ownership. Check this quote out. This is Mr. Dempsey, the representative of the group that owns this, okay? He says, we have been debt-free for 25 years that we've owned Bank of America Plaza. Dempsey said, we bought it in cash, we funded it in cash. That gives us a position of strength in the market. Oh. And the article says the building owner is already playing potential new uses for parts of the skyscraper. We have done an analysis to convert to residential or to convert to a hotel. We think the hotel is a really viable prospect. I do too. Um, so what in the world am I doing talking about a Dallas real estate office tower when it comes to the Robert Hunt Financial Market update? I thought we were, you know, thought, well, many of you perhaps have picked up on the things I like about this group. Uh, admittedly, I know nothing other than their investment criteria, but they're keeping their costs low. They just bought the building. They just bought it. There's there's not some big intermediary here. This Metropolitan group says, hey, look, um, you know, there's a German family with the money behind it, but we're just going to buy it. We're just going to hold it. Like, where's the flipping? I thought real estate was about flipping assets. And then Where's the calamity? It's only 70% occupied. Oh, that's right. They didn't use debt. <gasps> Collective gas from the investing public. How could you not use debt? Well, a lot of times, we don't know what's coming. And by not using debt, it actually gives us options to pivot, pivot, pivot from our original thesis. A lot changes in 25 years. A lot. Think about what happened financially over 25 years. You think this building would have survived 2008 with a bunch of debt on it? Would this building have survived 2001? You know, they bought it in 98. What? What? I mean, they are keeping their time horizon long. And I love this quote. Um, here it is. Mr. Mr. Russ Johnson says, we are always spending a lot of money on infrastructure. Talking about this building. We added an outdoor area about a month ago, said Russ Johnson, managing director with JLL. It manages and leases it. It's an 80s era building, but because of the continuing annual investment, it runs just as efficient as some of these brand new buildings. Johnson again says, no one owns a building for 25 years these days. It's a generational long-term asset, and they treat this like their home. Huh. Man, they're like a shepherd that treats the sheep like it's their own because it is their own. Now that's how you invest. Now, 
if we were if I were to debate someone, they might just come on the podcast right now and say, oh, wait just a second, Robert. You let me show you what the levered cash on cash return could have been. What about the levered internal rate of return? What about that return on equity? What about uh 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 I'm looking for a fifty year investment horizon or a hundred year. I cared nothing for your levered IRR. I cared nothing for it. All it does is introduce risk to me. And this family, this German family, do you think they're willing to get a rate of return a couple basis points, 100 basis points lower to not lever it and ensure the asset stays in the family's hands? I do. Yeah, I do. You see the alignment that occurs when we own the asset and we are control the asset. They treat it like their home. Listener, treat your index funds like it's your home. Act like a shepherd who owns the sheep. Do not be a horse trader in your investing. There are a lot of office tower owners who look with longing eyes on this sort of ownership structure and say, wow, how neat is that, that they can just own an asset? Wow. Think about it long term. Get creative. Have options when calamity hits. Those choices are available for us. It just takes a lot of patience. A lot of patience, a lot of alignment. Do you have the patience? Do you have the alignment? Do you have the vehicle? You may not be able to spend $300 million on a big old building in Dallas. But can you spend $3,000 on an index fund and treat it the same way? Because this is the scary part. I wouldn't be shocked if this German family, I walked into their office and gave them my pitch. And I said, all right, you can put your money in a United States index fund and for 25 years wake up or this building 25 years what do you think had a superior return I don't know but I'm guessing the index fund don't tell them I'm guessing and that's not a fair comparison all the time there are going to be periods where the tower does better and they may have different ideas about what their family should invest in that's just perfectly fine but we should feel privileged that we can invest in an asset like an index fund. We are so privileged to have that access. In 2024, you can do just as well or better than the, the Metropolis folks. And now, walk down memory lane. We're going to look at dividends that are inflation-adjusted in the U.S. throughout history. Now, what in the world are we doing looking at these? How is this going to help me? Well... When the stock market's at all-time highs, I like to sober people up. You've had your three drinks at the bar, your four drinks at the bar now, it feels like. I want to just put some smelling salts under your nose, maybe splash some cool water in your face, so that you can make these great decisions. Because it, when markets are high, it really feels like people are three drinks or four drinks in. That, that sharpness of mind has become dulled a bit. So, I pulled up this data. This is S&P 500 dividends by year. And I thought, you know, as a long-term investor... I don't want to care about price action, meaning the price of the stock market going up and down. I just want to care about those dividends. What sort of cash payments do I receive from owning the asset? Okay, and as a way of review, when you own this conglomeration of stocks, S&P 500, that's 500 stocks representative of the American economy, and some of them pay dividends, some of them don't, but because you've combined them, you get a dividend. You get a dividend. And this data goes back to 1871. This is Robert Schiller and Standard & Poor's who supply the data. 1871. So in 1871, $6.31. $6.31 is what was paid out. Uh -huh. 
In December 31, 2023, $70.30 was paid out. Now, this is inflation adjusted. Some of you might say, oh, that's not that great. That's a, that's a long-term hold. And I'll admit, it does certainly seem like, wow, it's a long time to wait. But it's inflation adjusted. But I want to I just let you in on the incredible run we've had of late. Okay? And then show you other time periods that haven't been as, as swimming. December in 2009, $31.86 was the S&P 500 dividend. 2023 came in at $70.30. Okay? That's a little over 2x. A little over 2x, right? That's, that's actually really good in a 14-year period to 2x the real. This is not a, this is we are adjusting for inflation the real cash given has 2x. So, of course, when we keep our costs low and investing in the time rising long, we can delight in purchasing power increasing over two times, over two times in a call it a 14-year period. Now, you might say I cherry-picked 09, fair enough. If you go back to 08, which is the high water mark, it's 41 bucks. But you got back in 2012, you got back to that $41 mark. Okay? And again, we got we got to back up and remember, this is let's, if we're treating the S&P 500 like a family farm, which we should, and we're buying it, and we don't care what the neighbor yells at us. Neighbors yelling us the price every day the market trades. They're yelling at us, quoting us prices. That's what it is. The stock market's constantly quoting prices throughout the trading day. But when we treat it like a farm, what are we interested in? What sort of produce is coming off? What's being produced by this farm? Okay. Well, I'm reading to you what's being produced. There are going to be seasons when the when the farm doesn't do so hot. It doesn't do so hot. Are you ready to really, really have that water splash in your face, smelling salts up against the nose? All right. If you were to go from 1963, you decided, I'm going to be an investor. I like this investing thing. Guess what? 1963 to 1985, you were flat on your dividend. I'm going to say that again. If you bought the S&P 500 in 1963, the income you received, the dividends, on a real basis, adjusted for inflation, were flat. Were flat all the way up until, I mean, 86, basically. Are we having fun yet? Does everybody want to be an investor? You always wonder why people gave up on stocks in this time period. Why the, I think it was a Business Week article came out, 1979, said the death of equities. We talked about it last week. Very few people, very few people can make it through a stretch like that without simply throwing in the towel saying, you know what, this asset class is cursed. That's how I talk about international stocks sometimes. I just think, you know, it's just cursed. But, 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 for those who held on, for those who held on, and that's a long time to hold on, you basically went through a really great stretch of income creation. And and we're in that stretch currently. We're in that stretch. To go from 09 to 23 and have a over a 2x real income, whew, that's great. And the data, you know, there are other really, really difficult periods. So, you know, you knew I was going here, Great Depression. 1930, the dividend high water mark. For the S&P 500 was $18.69. 1930 
when do we get back to that? 1869. $18.69. So this is 1930, remember? It's putting out $18.69. Uh, uh oh. 1955. Okay, that's 1930 to 1955. And so if you were actually steadily investing, dollar cost averaging, that's what, that's what most people do with their, with their um, 401k, you'd be fine. But that should tell us, whew, nothing's easy, kids, nothing's easy. And time got away from me, but I'm going to sneak in Robert's Corner. Okay, this is just a lesson in humility. In uh, 2006, I did a presentation on something called Vornado Realty Trust, ticker VNO. And uh, Sydney Donnell was my real estate finance professor at Texas A&M. I thought it was a wonderful class, wonderful professor. She did great. I gave the presentation on Vornado, and I absolutely love the security. It's a real estate investment trust. Those are securities that are required to pay out 90% of their earnings as income to ensure that single taxation and not double taxation occurs. And I went through, and this, this company had incredible assets. The more I researched, the more I loved it. A-plus management team. They were even acting almost like a private equity firm and some of the creativity with their deal making. It was all wonderful. It was all wonderful. Let me tell you what happened. From 2006 to present, uh, VNO is down about 70%. That's right. Keeping those costs low, investing simple, time horizon long, you're down 70%. Now, every maxim is going to be incomplete. Every slogan isn't going to be comprehensive. Every sermon is not going to preach to every doctrinal truth of the Christian faith. So we have to give the RHF market update a little grace because if I were to extend our slogan, keep your costs low, invest in simple time, rising long, I'd say keep your assets diversified. But sometimes the marketing department tells you you can't do that. So diversification was my problem in this situation. I actually did not buy the security, but I did a mental purchase. I call those phantom purchases to see how good a stock picker you really are. So what you do is you mentally say, you know, I would have bought $1,000 here in 2006 of Renato because I love the buildings are incredible, irreplaceable assets, um, markets that you just can't buy into, New York, D.C., just all the best stuff. You're down 70%. So diversification is critical. It's critical because you, who knew that COVID would happen? Who knew work from home would happen? Who knew some of these markets, some of these Class A office buildings, investors wouldn't care about anymore? I didn't. They didn't. But in 2006, I would have bet a lot of money this was going to be a very valuable company to own shares in, and I was dead wrong. I was dead wrong. So let us not forget the key to investing is keeping those costs low, investing simple, that time horizon long, and if I could add an addendum, diversification, diversification. Until next time.